0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: Hi, I'm RA Salvatore, Bob Salvatore. Been writing fantasy books for 25 years now, and going strong. And you're listening
0: to Genre Tainment. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Genretainment at SciFiPulseRadio.com. We're your hosts, Marks
2: and Julie. Genretainment is where we talk about what's happening in the world of film, TV, and web series. We give you interviews with writers, directors, producers, and actors in both independent and not-so-independent creations. Now, this is episode 110, and we are chatting with indie author and filmmaker Garrett Robinson.
0: After publishing his first work in December of 2012, Robinson has published more than 25 science fiction and fantasy titles in 2013. Now we discuss how he got started in the filmmaking, which evolved into writing books. We also learn how he approaches writing, and he shares a number of tips for other indie creators.
2: We also discuss his new legendary line from Sterling and Stone, and much more. Oh, and we go on a slightly, slight but hopefully interesting tangent about Marvel's Netflix series Jessica Jones and the lack of female roles in fantasy. Now, before we get started with the interview, we should point out that the music you just heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the theme song for our web series, Reality on Demand. It was a song composed and performed by our friend T. Sean Hardy. You can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com. Now, let's get started with our interview with writer Garrett Robinson. Welcome to the show, Garrett.
1: Hey, thanks very much. Happy to be here.
2: Now, you are a best-selling author and also a filmmaker, and you've been publishing since 2012... And since then, you've published more than 25 titles in 2013. Was that right?
1: Yeah. I uh, I, I like to say, though, that I'm at nine books right now, because I used to publish all my stuff serialized. So a lot of the stuff is sort of episodes, and when people hear 25 books, they think, you know, 25 novels, and they get very confused when they can't find them on Amazon. It's, it, it, it's, <laughs> it's nine books now is what okay. it's at. Okay.
2: Okay. um, Well, how about we just start with what led you down the path of a writer and an indie author? So when did you know that you wanted to do this for a living? And how did you get there?
0: Well, I actually
1: took a really roundabout way. When I was a a teenager, I wanted to be a writer and that was what I wanted to do. And I wrote furiously all the time, any, any spare second that I could. But then out of high school, I actually, uh, discovered filmmaking and got into freelance filmmaking for a bit. I was doing that, you know, trying to make it work, trying to, you know, break into directing, but, uh, Nobody wants you to direct a film unless you've already directed a film. So it's that. You know,
2: <laughs> it's like catch a catch-22, 20. isn't
1: it? It's, it's terrible, man. And unless you happen to have, you know, a really rich uncle who will invest a couple hundred grand in your, in your movie, it, it's hard to get your first uh, feature made. So I was s- still trying to kind of make it happen. But then a friend of mine who I've known all my life, uh, he knew that I was a writer when I was a teenager and I still wrote all my own scripts and everything. And he said, I think that you should just try writing and i'd been trying so hard to break into even the independent film industry that i was like oh i don't want to i don't want to go through more years of trying to break through an entirely new publishing industry that just sounds right. terrible
2: you'd be starting from scratch again
1: exactly and then you have to you know you have to get an agent and you have to do the rejection letters and this that and the other thing and then he said no dude no that's not how that's not how publishing works anymore. And he pointed me towards uh, self-publishing, uh, specifically the self-publishing podcast. And I started listening to them, and I was listening for like three episodes before I said, "Okay, we're doing this." And so how I began was taking film scripts that I'd already written and turning them into books, and then you know editing and getting covers designed and whatnot, and. And then I eventually just started branching out and writing entirely new original stories that you know were books from the beginning, and and that's uh, that's how I got to uh, where I'm at now.
2: It was a little roundabout, but it was a good way.
1: Yeah, yeah it was great. <laughs> and one day I'm going to go back to filmmaking. You know, when I have like New York Times bestsellers yeah. and Hollywood wants to make them into movies, then I'm going to be working on those. So it's it's just you a go bounce full circle. Back. Yeah, yes. exactly.
2: <laughs> I'm making a circle gesture. You can't see. <clears throat>
1: yeah, they can't it. see that. so... <laughs> Well, I'm waving my hands around wildly. So we're all just sitting here, you know. Just... Are
2: you the same as me? Mark's jokes that, like, if he tied my hands down, I couldn't speak.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, if he just made me
2: YouTube sit videos. still, I would not be able to function.
1: Yeah, people who watch my YouTube videos are like, do you always do that? Uh, like, <laughs> is that, like, always how you talk, bouncing around and moving your hands all over the place? Yes. And I say no, because, you know, Ooh. then I would accidentally hit somebody. I have to restrain myself when the person's face-to-face but
2: (laughs) yeah see i don't
1: yeah (laughs) i'll wear body armor if we ever meet up yeah
2: you want to keep a nice safe distance
0: so what are some of your creative inspirations some authors or filmmakers
1: my My biggest fandom, I guess you would say i'm a I'm a, a super geek and a super fan of a lot of things, but my biggest fandom has always been Tolkien. I started uh, with The Hobbit when I was ten and I read The Lord of the Rings when I was twelve. And since then I've actually read it once per year. I'm actually in the middle of uh, of another read of Lord of the Rings again. so he was a he was a huge influence on uh, you know my writing when I was a teenager. And then the reason that I discovered film and discovered that that was something that I wanted to do was because of the Lord of the Rings films and specifically the behind the scenes. I don't know if you know about the whole like extended edition Lord of the Rings DVDs. Uh-huh.
0: Oh,
1: yeah. yeah. So they come with, uh, they come with each movie comes with like eight hours of behind the scenes stuff. And so I Jeez. watched as Peter Jackson wrote the scripts and <laughs> put the crew together and did the casting and made all of the armor and everything. And I said that I, I want to do that. And then I I swiftly discovered that it takes many many years before you get to the level where you can actually do that. But still, it was uh, it was really incredibly fun. That being said, I do I do you know not restrict myself to only reading Tolkien films and watching Tolkien adaptations. Um, I'm a, a fan of. I'm a fan of a bunch of fantasy authors, but not as not I, I there's some fantasy authors that I don't necessarily like that people get kind of upset when they when they find out of I don't like <laughs> What but about uh, Game of Thrones? I like I, I like the books. They're not my favorite, but I think that they're very good. I think that the show is incredible. While also being problematic, like I'm I'm very, very nuanced on on my views on a lot of uh, different things. Tolkien is pretty much the only thing where I full fanboy. And if anybody has a problem with anything, you know, the books or the movies, I'm I'm ready to fight them. I'm ready to (laughs) just just punch in the face. Well,
2: Yeah, I feel your pain because I'm I'm a genre geek myself, but there's a lot of stuff that are just so incredibly popular that I can't stand. Yeah. So, especially like on TV. So, I'm a huge sci-fi and fantasy buff, but I don't like Game of Thrones and I don't like The Walking Dead. <laughs> and yeah. So, those are the two that everyone. I just sees. tell her
0: it's okay. Everybody else does. I They're know. Okay.
2: <laughs> and I know I'm in the minority, but I can't make myself like something I don't like.
1: Totally. You I, know, I people are so upset when they find out I don't like The Wheel of Time. I just. I yeah. don't like that series, and I uh, I don't know what to do about the fact that I don't like it. But people are like, "What?" Just
2: you- tell people, "Hey, you can't like everything." Yeah, yes. yeah exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. People will be fight. They feel the about Wheel of Time like you do about Lord of the Rings, so they exactly. want to fight you.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and then the other thing that sort of like complicates how I feel about a lot of things, but it complicates. It complicates, uh, you know, things that I really, really like, too, is that as I've grown older and, and kind of become more like aware of the world and traveled more and met more people and, and had more conversations with more interesting people, there are certain things that I really like, but then I have I have problems with that aren't always Closely related to the story, like I'll always say that Ender's Game is my favorite sci-fi novel of all time, and probably my second favorite book of all time after The Lord of the Rings. But then, you know how one how the series progressed wasn't exactly living up to the standard standard of the first book, and then Orson Scott Card has some uh, some some personal problems that I'm sort of like. <laughs> eh. So when I when I say I like Ender's Game, and people are like, "Oh, but Orson Scott Card," I'm like, "I know, I know, I know." But that book is still so good. It's just so good. So, well,
2: you know, people are flawed, and nothing's yeah, perfect. exactly.
1: Yeah, and sometimes, and it's one of those things where, like, sometimes I can separate the the artist from the art. Sometimes I can't. Other people, right. you know, they might not even have problems as big, but I'm not so attached to their art. So I, it it's a weird it's it, it's a weird thing <laughs> liking things. It's weird being a fan these yeah, days.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, you you don't want to learn too much about. Your heroes, you know, right. that's that's the thing. You just don't want to.
1: Exactly.
2: Yeah, you, you can exactly. enjoy their work, and beyond that, you just don't want to know them on a personal level because it'll ruin it.
1: <laughs> ruin everything, and God, never meet them, please. Yeah,
2: don't. It, it's <laughs> it's a terrifying. No, that's not true.
1: I still want to meet some people. There's some people I just, oh
0: God, I want to meet them so badly, and then maybe <laughs> it'll be ruined forever. But yeah.
2: Maybe yeah.
0: So your Nightblade books. I'm in the middle of reading number one right now, and oh. book four is coming out soon, is that You're correct? You're behind. Or has it just four, come out?
1: Uh, book four came out uh, la- not last Friday, but the one before that, so ten days ago as we record.
0: Okay, tell us a little bit about Nightblade and, and the series.
1: A project that I had wanted to do for quite a long time was a big, a big epic fantasy series. My big epic fantasy, right? Because that's definitely, definitely my favorite genre, hands down. Epic fantasy. That's what I like. And I had uh, back when I hadn't thought of writing or doing anything like that at all. I was working on, uh, I was, I was working in film, and I thought, okay, I know I can't throw together the Lord of the Rings. I, I, I know I can't just like you know, create something like Game of Thrones out of nothing, but I'll bet you that I could grab some friends who, you know, we all go to Ren Fair. we've all got costumes that look fully legit and we could just run out on weekends and we could start making this epic fantasy web series and it would all be very low budget and it would all be just like for the fun of it and try to create a world that would, that would draw people in and get enough of an audience that it could be picked up somewhere. So I started, uh, I started working on this world and, and what the story would be. And I worked on it for a really, really long time. And then I, I felt like we were ready to start making some, some episodes to go out and start shooting some material, some footage. And the production fell apart because I had a, a producer who basically kind of, kind of couldn't, uh, couldn't actually cope with, even, even though our scale was not that big he, he couldn't cope with like the scale of it because he'd never really produced anything before. And I, mm. I got very apathetic about it after after it all collapsed. And it just sort of sat there as a, a thing that I would that I would do one day. And so when I started writing, I thought, well, hell, now I can now I can do that. And, and I don't have to worry about budget. There's, you don't have to get the costumes and the special effects when you're writing a book. You just have to use the words. Right. But I, it's, it's fantastic. One of the, yeah. one of my favorite things about being a writer is you don't have to ask anybody for money until you've got a
0: done thing for <laughs> it. And you can but, imagine uh, your cast as whoever. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And you
2: can make everything really big and expensive. <laughs> oh, absolutely,
1: I want Robert Downey Jr. to play this character. I know, that I, like, like it, and and that's who it is. That's that's who the character is. But uh, I knew when I wanted to start working on the book, I knew that I wasn't quite ready. Like, I I could I could just I was self aware of enough of myself as a writer to say I'm not I'm not ready to tackle this world yet because. If you're shooting, you know, like if you're shooting a web series and you're shooting like 10 minutes per episode, you can you can put a few episodes down before you really need to start getting big. Right. But to do a, a fantasy book, it needs to be big. You need to have a well-developed world and characters and like you can't just kind of throw together a piece at a time and it, it just wouldn't be as good if you if you did. So my solution was to take the world that I had been building for a while and to start another story in the world. And so that became Nightblade. And so Nightblade is a story of a girl named Lauren who exists in this land called Underrealm. And she runs away from home, and her home is this tiny little village in the woods of this kingdom. It's so small that the village doesn't even have a name. And her parents are are tremendously abusive to her, and that's that's why she wants to run away. And she finds this wizard running through the woods one day and he's, he's on the run from the law and she says, take me with you. And he does. And so she goes off and sort of begins her like life of adventure. And so it was a, it was a personal small story that I could build a piece at a time. And as she goes, she's, she's learning more things about the world and where everything is and how everything works. And so, I kind of got to learn it all along with her, and, and so does the reader. It's not like Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings where you're going um, to different people's viewpoints and you're seeing everything at once. It's a smaller scope of a story. And so it just kind of started taking on a life of its own. And and pretty soon, I, I liked Lauren so much that I was like, I can, just, I can just keep writing this series for a while until I feel like I'm ready to write the other one. And so that's what happened. And uh, after I put out the third book in the series... Things started going really, really well, and now uh, I, I, for the last three years, I've been writing. I've been doing uh, freelance work as well. I did freelance editing of other people's books and, and formatting of people's books. And now, as of uh, this year, actually, as of just a few months ago, I, I don't have to do that anymore. I'm just literally full time writing, and I'm I'm only working on books in Underrealm. Uh, so that's a that's a pretty great thing. I I, I consider myself very lucky to have gotten an audience. It, it seems like it took a long time, three years, but really in terms of a writing career, that's not very long at all. So no, I'm, I'm not. great for that.
2: In terms of writing, that's overnight success, only three years. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Some people it's, are uh, like,
2: I've been writing for 15 years and I finally started again.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think it was Hugh Howie. I might be wrong, but he said, uh, I was an overnight success after my 10th book.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's like the actors, that they're an overnight success after 25 years in the business.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So now the fourth book is part of this new partnership with Sterling Stone. Yes. As part of the new Legendary brand. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So um, like I said, I had uh, started, decided to start writing after listening to the self-publishing podcast. And the uh, guys who run that, Sean Platt, Johnny B. Truen, and David Wright, they are... Um, a company called Sterling and Stone. And they've been working together for a number of years. Uh, I think they've been working together for four years, although Sean and Dave were already working together for like a year before that. And they've just been doing great. Sean is, you know, a very, uh, a very strong entrepreneurial mind. Johnny and Dave are both, you know, like, amazing, productive writers, like true artists in every sense of the word. They, they really create some amazing stories. And so when I started listening to the podcast, I was like, okay, so this is probably pretty good, you know, like marketing advice and everything like this, but is there anything, is there anything to it? Is there anything to these guys beyond just like knowing some tricks about how to sell and build an email list? So I started buying and reading their books and I found out they were fantastic. They were really, really good. (laughs) And I got kind of obsessed and I started, you know, reading their books voraciously. And, um, back then their, their, their production line wasn't as worked out as it is now. And so like they, you know, their books had some typos and some things like that. So I would always carefully note them down. And then when I finished a book, I would send them to them all in a ream. Hey, I finished this book. Here's these typos. And they used to have a thing. Well, like they, I think they still do where you could call the podcast and, and ask questions and they would answer them on the show. Mm-hmm. And I started calling just every single week and asking questions. And, uh, and so they were sort of like, who the, who the hell is this? <laughs> where did he come from? What is he doing? And I would review all their books, et cetera, et cetera. So when I stopped uh, my nine to five job and started writing slash freelance full time, a lot of my work was for Sean and for, well, for Sterling and stone in general, but you know, I always worked closely with Sean and way back then he and I tried to write a book together and I just was not, I was not good enough at juggling my time and managing my schedule. And so the book kind of, we got ninety percent done with it, and then it fell by the wayside, which just felt terrible. but we finished it this year, which feels really great <laughs> um, and so when nightblade came out and it started it started getting the attention and it started getting the audience, although actually right before that happened, after the first couple of books had come out, but before the third one started really taking off, Sean called me, and he was like you've like you've really really stepped your game up and and you're really doing kind of all the right things but I think that there's some things that you could be doing better and I think that it would work better if you had a company there backing you up and supporting you. So would you be interested in joining Sterling and Stone and actually having your books be part of the family? Like you're, I was pretty much kind of like already in the, in the group, in the family, so to speak, but he was talking about, you know, making, making it official. And of course I said, yes, please, absolutely. Let's do this. And so we uh, started working together right as book 3 kind of exploded and we were already working furiously on book 4 which was kind of nice because he asked me like before it, it, it's like it's like the 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 girl who meets the guy and he asks her to marry him and then finds out she's a wealthy heiress and it's like <laughs> oh you like me for me not cuz i'm rich yeah. um, so <laughs> that was a nice experience we did book 4 from beginning to end together and now we're working on uh, the next Underrealm book. And we have quite a production schedule uh, slated for next year. But we're already well ahead of our production like targets to get it all done. So um, pretty exciting. And the the books are not showing any signs of slowing down. So it's it's pretty gratifying.
2: <laughs> That's great. That's great. Now, can yeah. you also tell us about your uh, Realm Keeper books?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Realm Keepers was actually the first series where I started to believe that writing was going to work out it didn't it mm-hmm. didn't quite get there I had read this series when I was a teenager and I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this but it was called Animorphs and it, it was a okay so it was it's a sci-fi series did very much a TV rich, show of that they did it was mm-hmm. it was so bad it yeah was, <laughs> it was all of the terrible and uh, <laughs> so but I was obsessed with it when I was in my early teens. And I actually went and I picked up the first book. It's not quite as good as I remember because it was like definitely written for, you know, early teenagers. But it's the story and the characters are really, really good. And it was uh, six uh, kids, six teenagers who discovered that the Earth is in danger in a sci-fi setting from from aliens. But they're the only ones who know and they have to fight this secret war to to save Earth. And they literally can't tell anybody about it for reasons that are, you know, kind of convoluted, but they're, they're in the book. And so Zach, uh, Zach, my, my friend who got me into writing in the first place, and I had a podcast. The podcast was pretty young, but we said, hey, we should write a book series together. And I said, I want it to be fantasy and I want it to be along the same lines of like a group of teenagers discovered that the world is in danger and have to fight it, but they have to keep everything a secret. And we just sort of built it from there and because we had a podcast and because we were growing our audience and everything it actually launched fairly well like 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 it, you know it was it was the first good like really good month that i'd ever have since since i started uh self publishing and i was sort of like wow this is amazing i didn't know how to sustain it i didn't know how to um keep attracting new audience members other than, like i didn't know how to continue to get new people coming in in addition to writing the next book. So like the next book was great, but because there was a percentage of reader fall off, there was, it wasn't as good because I wasn't doing the right things to, to bring in new people. But that series is still ongoing. We're actually working on the third book right now on top of everything else. (laughs) I'm not sleeping much these days.
2: I was going to say, when do you sleep?
0: (laughs) I don't,
1: (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, so we're still working on that. And, um, and now now I am doing things to bring in new readers, and now we have people that are sort of like, when is book three coming? When is book three coming? And and we are, my answer is just that we are trying to get it done as fast <laughs> as we possibly can.
2: So basically, you what sit at your desk and you like have a feeding tube and a bedpan, <laughs> <laughs> and you just kind of like toothpicks propping your eyes open. <laughs> I've
1: got an IV with coffee that just runs right to my veins. Just That's
2: a very <laughs> good idea. In. Yeah.
1: No, it's funny. I actually used to live that way. I used to live very much where like I'd spend uh, sometimes I would spend, you know, uh, 14 to 16 hours a day in my office. And I discovered since I stopped having to freak out about like money and, and basic survival needs all the time. Um, now I restrict myself to, and I know this sounds not that restrictive, but I restrict myself to 10 hour days. And I take walks every single day. Mm -hmm. And I have gotten so much more productive. It's ridiculous.
2: Well, sleep deprivation slows down pretty much everything. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It it, it makes nothing good. No. (laughs) It feels like you're being more productive, but you're not.
2: You're not. It's just your brain is not running quite to capacity.
0: Exactly. Yeah, I was wondering what your creative schedule was like. And because you do fantasy, which requires a lot of world creation... I was wondering how much you do plotting of your storylines in advance.
1: Yeah, so I am very, very tight in my plotting, like very, very. And that's not to say that it doesn't change. Uh, That's that's one thing people think when they hear, you know, tight plotting, they think, oh, well, but like, what if I want to change the story? Well, I change the story. You know, I'll I think I spend about let's see, I think I spend like 30 to 40 hours uh, plotting one of my books, and I end up with a with an outline to write off of that is like fifteen to twenty thousand words long for a book that's going to be about eighty to ninety thousand words
0: long. <laughs>
1: so it's like uh, it's like a fifteen to twenty percent of the finished product is the length of the outline, right?
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: then sometimes I'm in the middle of the book and I go, oh my god, something different needs to happen. Like I just thought of a thing, and either what I'm going to do isn't working or, or isn't going to work or what I'm going to do isn't as good as this other thing I just thought of. Mm-hmm. So I stop and I go back to the outline and I rework everything to to the end of the book. And then I go back and I rework anything that needs to happen earlier. But I do, I do plot very, very exactly. And that was one thing uh, when Sean and I started working together he, and he started seeing the, the outlines that I would write for myself. He said that um, he's, he'd never seen somebody who outlined so deep. And also, like, when he is working with Johnny, right, or when he's working with Dave, they like to leave themselves kind of like lots of open boxes, right? And they're like, oh, well, we don't we don't necessarily need to work or worry about, like, figuring this out now because uh, because it, it will be explained later on in the story. Like, we'll sort of discover it in the story. Mm-hmm. And the Underrealm books, they just don't work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, like, I, I texted him the other day. I said, oh, my God. I just thought of a plot twist that's going to happen in 2020, like in a book that we're going to publish in 2020. And
0: <laughs> I put
1: the first seed of that idea in a scene that I just wrote. And like, that's how far ahead I'm thinking. Like I knew that I knew the end of the of the series sort of before I started writing the beginning and everything like stacks and builds up that way. So by necessity, my stuff has to be pretty tight, although it does whatever I needed to do. You know, like I also I, I, I don't particularly have that thing where it's like, oh, my story does whatever it wants and my characters do whatever they want. It's like, no, I'm the writer. Like, they, they do what I want.
2: <laughs> well, and, and pre-planning doesn't have to equal just rigidity. You know, you can... exactly. Yeah, I mean, you can roll with the punches, but at least you have an idea of where you're headed to begin with.
1: Yeah, totally. And it's think... what allows me to write so fast. Like, I, I do write pretty fast, and that's that's the only reason why, is lots
0: of planning. Mm. Do you think that's your filmmaking experience i know like when i write scripts and everything and the training you get there's a lot of emphasis on outlining everything in advance yeah uh because there's so many moving parts because you have to worry about production and, and such too do you think that helped influence you to outline more yeah very much so
1: when i was when i was doing filmmaking a lot there's a lot of people who like to uh who like to not just encourage like improvisation in actors, right? Cause I, I, I like when actors will, will riff if an actor forgets their line and they improvise something and it leads to something else and whatever that can actually be great. Even when mm-hmm. you're filming a scene and you're like on deadline, but There's also people who like to take that a step further and be like, okay, so here's what needs to happen in the scene. And then they just kind of let the actors improv their way through the scene a bunch of times. And then they figure it all out in editing. I'm like, oh, my God, that would give me a stroke. That would would make me
2: crazy. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I would just I would go completely. So I, I always in my scripts, I wrote very exact, very complex dialogue. And I would get on actors. I would be like, no, like. on, on the line before that, it doesn't matter so much, but here you actually need to say these words. And there's a whole reason for that. Like I am very exact in my, in my planning and the, and the way I want to execute those things. So that, that definitely has translated into, and when I'm, you know, when I'm writing a scene, when I'm writing a book, I do tend to see it all very visually in my head as though it were already being made into a movie. And you can't, I, I, I can't do that. If I'm figuring each scene out as I go, like I want to see the logical progression in my head of how the story is going to unfold. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: And when you're developing this, do you do uh, especially your fantasy, these fantasy books, the nightly books, for example, do you uh, create like kind of a series Bible kind of thing to keep track of things or do you make some rough maps to get an idea (laughs) of the geography?
1: Yeah, so I have maps which I definitely want to um have done now by a professional cartographer and start putting them in the books. But I had maps from the beginning and I have uh I have a because I'm I'm starting additional series in the world of Underrealm right now, right? Uh-huh. So, I have a World Bible and then I have series Bibles because certain characters are not going to move between the series, so I don't need to have them in all of the different things, but I have I have the sort of uh, the nonfiction wide scale overview of the entire world of, of how Underrealm works, how the societies work and the uh, the, the people and the the, the royalty versus the uh, the wealthy upper class and all that sort of thing, how the magic works and all that. And I am I'm constantly updating that book to book. every every time I'm outlining a book. I come up with new things that I'm like, oh, this has to go here and this is how this works and everything. So it's it's still coming together a little bit piece by piece. And before I go back and do the big epic story that was the, the origination of the whole idea, I'll get that into a more or less final form uh, to work from. Mm-hmm.
0: You mentioned before that you have filmmaking experience. I know you did a short film called "Unsaid." It must remain unsaid. Yeah, oh, so, so we won't talk about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. Now, yeah. uh, can you tell us a little bit about that that short film and that experience? Is
2: there anything you can say about <laughs> the unsaid? <uncest? laughs>
1: yeah, it's actually not very uh, not very secretive at all. No, I had um, that was a that was a short story that I wrote. It's unlike unlike my books or anything like that. It's not, it's, it's, uh, I guess you'd call it a sort of a drama. It was just a short story that I felt the need to write. It's a, it's actually uh, like a, a highly fictionalized account of uh, my mother passing away. And that was something that I, you know, wrestled with for a really long time and, and, you know, still affects me pretty deeply. And I was trying to figure out just certain things about that and 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 how I felt about it, and so it just sort of came out in this short story that um, I I showed it to somebody, a friend of mine, and they just cried like like a lot. I was like, okay, uh, I guess maybe I should see if you know I can make other people cry because who doesn't like making people. <laughs> cry? So oh, I put it out. That's where
0: I wake up every day, can I How make can someone I make cry someone today?
1: Cry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like and that's the thing is it's you know, the the short story has never, you know, it's like sold anything at all. Like like certain people bought it, like certain people in my audience who thought that the subject matter would appeal, they got it and then and then that was it. And then I realized that I hadn't, you know, I hadn't made a film in about nine months or so. So I said, "Hey, we could actually make this." And so I have a filmmaking group here in Los Angeles where I live currently, and I wrote it into a script and I brought it in, workshopped it with them. And I was very sneaky in that when we workshopped it, um, actors in the group will will cold read the script, and I specifically requested this one actress who is, she's oh, she's so good, she's amazing, she's fantastic. Her name is Michelle Lukadu. and uh, like she should just be working in every film ever all the time. And uh, when she read it, she one killed it. She was just fantastic. And two, she came after me. She, she, she came after me, (laughs) chasing (laughs) me down the street with a high heel in her hand. (laughs) She, She came to me after the reading and she said, can we make this? And I said, Oh, well I, I, I would love to, you know, it's just like, I have, I have no money to make it right now. And she was like, Oh, well, we should do a Kickstarter campaign. I said, "Oh, that's a that's a great idea." I, just, I have no time to run a Kickstarter. And she said, "Oh, well, I'll just do it." I said, wow. "Yes." Yeah. Plans successful. <laughs> uh because that was sort of like my hope uh, is that was what would happen. And so she did and she raised the money and we, you know, got a really great crew together and like lots of awesome equipment and a Person who has since become a friend of mine, a guy named Matt Hunt, stepped in and um, helped put the icing on the cake on the fundraising and actually helped us on the production of it. And he's a he's a great guy, fantastic producer and filmmaker. And now we work together on a bunch of different stuff. And so we made the film. I turned the whole thing into sort of an experiment on seeing, like, could you actually sell a film uh, to make money? And the answer was that maybe you can, but like you couldn't make your money back. Like we didn't even make close to what our budget was. (laughs) But then again, it's like the least marketable film of all time. It's like, hi, do you want to watch a, a 20 minute film? That's probably going to make you sob uncontrollably. And it's about somebody whose mom is dying. No. What, where are you going? Like, come back. <laughs> so, uh, so it didn't, uh, it did
0: Imagine Robert Downey Jr. Is
2: in <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Playing his mother. <laughs>
1: But uh, but we are going to uh, Matt and I are trying to uh, figure out what we want to do next. That's going to be something that would be, you know, have a little bit more appeal and that people would be willing to, you know, like shell out a couple of bucks for and and how would we distribute it and all that sort of thing. So it looks like we're going to be putting that together uh, sometime in 2016, a sort of uh, a a science fiction uh, video game related uh, short film. And so we'll we'll see how that goes. But um but I, 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 I am still very happy with unsaid in terms of quality and acting and production value and everything, in my mind it's it's unquestionably the best thing that has ever had my name on it. So I'm very, very grateful that we got to do that.
2: Well, and you know, I mean, maybe a, a longer version, not a twenty minute, because still might be something people would be interested in. I know I've seen it a few times and it's one of my favorites. Uh, that Robin Williams movie, What Dreams May yeah. Come, really pretty depressing to get hard to get through and draining. And and I will, honest to God, go through an entire box of tissues watching this. Just me.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I sob uncontrollably <laughs> watching that movie, but like I can't stop because it's yeah. so good.
1: <laughs> I'm right so, with you. I cry a lot at movies and that one wrecks me. It oh wrecks me to my gosh. core. Yeah. And
2: I'll be just sort of, melancholy for days after watching you know and i'm just like oh it just takes it out of you but there's something so beautiful
1: about it seriously and it's that's one of the things is um a lot of people will sit down and they'll watch a five-minute film they'll even watch a 10-minute film and they'll definitely watch a feature film i mean that's the majority of the film industry Mm -hmm. but a 20-minute film is a bit of a hard sell
2: yeah i know we went through that too (laughs) yeah yeah. And they're like, it's a short, short movie. And they're like, oh, so it's about, we're like, well, it's about 23 Actually, minutes. Yeah. Ours was about, to, you 20 know, minutes, Marx's yeah. first was 23 minutes. And people like, oh, that's a little too long. I'm like, it's 23 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, but it's like,
1: long. I mean, everybody has their days so, you know, so exact these days. And it's like, where am I going to put that 20 minutes? Five mm-hmm. minutes, I can do it while I'm, you know, like depending on who you are using the restroom or like riding in somebody's car or on the bus or something an hour an hour and a half you settle down you get some popcorn you you know spend some time with somebody and you watch a film together yeah yeah 20 minutes i mean i don't know if you have fiber problems you know on the bathroom (laughs) (laughs) it's pretty limited
2: maybe you're sitting at your desk at work during lunch (laughs) hours
1: exactly
0: exactly now you also do a lot of vlogging too so. Yes. Like
2: saying flogging. You flog. flog.
0: flog may do that too. I don't know.
2: <laughs> you don't have to talk about flogging, but you can. We're not just...
1: gonna. We're not gonna get into my personal life, guys. Yeah, I was yeah, thought yeah. it's very that... clear before the call. No. Uh,
2: <laughs> very clear that what you do behind closed doors is your own business. But now the vlogging, which although the vlogging, assume you do yeah. that behind closed doors as well. Uh, <laughs> you can talk about that. Yeah. Like, why'd you nope. decide to start doing the vlogging?
1: Yeah, I have a, so I have a YouTube channel and that was born just out of, I kind of wanted to, uh, I wanted to start making videos and I had a, uh, it's kind of started as like it was supposed to be a podcast and then I made the video and I was like, now I have to extract the audio and then I have to publish it as a podcast and it's only like a few minutes long. That just doesn't seem worth it. Maybe I'll just do the YouTube video. (laughs) So I started doing YouTube videos every day and pretty shortly somebody told me that, I reminded them of a couple of, they've said a couple of different big YouTubers, and but the most notable ones are um, the Vlogbrothers, Hank Green and John Green. And I said, who is that? Because I had no idea, I had really no idea, like, about YouTube culture. I knew what YouTube was, obviously, mm-hmm. but I had no, I didn't know about, like, real true online video culture, like vlogger culture. And mm-hmm. so I started watching the Vlogbrothers, and I was immediately like, I want to do, I want to do everything exactly like these guys, exactly like they're doing it. So I started kind of imitating their style a little bit more, imitating their editing style, their speaking style, like the kind of things that they talked about and everything. And I, I really, really love YouTube videos. The only unfortunate thing is that right now I'm still catching up on a lot of backlogs that have, you know, like followed me from my freelance days, things that I already committed to that I need to do before I can sort of devote myself full time to Underrealm. And so my days are still pretty are are still pretty hectic right now. And with me actually like restricting the length of my workday, the thing that has fallen off, unfortunately, has been vlogging. And it hasn't gotten any better since I've been having like it seems like for the last month, I've been plagued by computer troubles that I finally resolved this morning, which I'm very happy about.
2: Yay! That's how we're talking to you. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. So I am going to like start doing it on a more regular schedule. But um, but yeah, I've, I've put out in the last couple of years, I've put out almost 600 videos now. And I have actually three different channels. Actually, if you take my three different channels, I think I've put out close close to a thousand videos. Wow. And, so I spend a lot of my time on YouTube. I watch a lot of vloggers, I watch a lot of uh, you know, uh booktubers and and um, you know, instructional things. Like I just spend a whole lot of time on YouTube and I really really like creating for my YouTube audience and my YouTube subscribers cuz it's it's just so damn personal mm-hmm. and you just get such an immediate response out of it. That's another thing where if somebody can can bear the thought of putting a camera on themselves, and making a video about themselves, and putting it on YouTube, and they're an author, I really think they should, because it's kind of like blogging in a way, where writing a book, even if you do it fast, like I write books fast, but even so, it takes time, and you're working for days, weeks, months, and you don't know what people are going to think, you don't know if these, if you're going to put it out, and it's going to be a huge success, or a flop, you don't even know if your dedicated readers are going to love it, or if they're going to be, oh, uh, so this is the book where you started sucking. Okay,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> you have no idea, and that is—it's—it's uh, uh, it's terrifying. Sometimes it's very—it uh, can make you very anxious. It's really—it's uh, it, a—it's a tough thing being a writer. It's not as as physically strenuous as a lot of other things, but you kind of are very much on your own, or just working with a couple of other people uh, who have a vested interest in your success. So. The thing about YouTube is you sit down, you come up with an idea, you write the script for your video or, or figure out how you want it to go. You record the video, you edit it, you put it up and you just start getting views and comments like that. And mm-hmm. it's it's just such an immediate gratification that it it sort of reduces that thing that we can all do where we all get into our own heads so much and we just concentrate so much on what we're doing and how it could all go wrong. And it just gets you out of your head and talking to other people who, who already want to hear what you have to say and, and, and want to have discussions with you and, and talk to you. And that's why I always feel like I feel really bad when I, when I miss a few days or like a week or whatever of making a YouTube video, because it's like, I love my YouTube people. They just, they're able to keep me like grounded and sane when I'm working on the next book. And so whenever I, I, I miss a video to them, it like, and, and that's actually, I think, a really good motivating factor. If you can do something like that where you acquire an audience who you know want to see whatever the next thing is that you're doing, it, you know, puts a fire under your butt and you want to produce more. And, and so it's easier to overcome things like like writer's block or or general anxiety about the entire universe, which is overall
2: procrastination.
1: (laughs) Exactly. So yeah. So YouTube is a, is a, is a great thing that I, I think more authors should give it a shot. And if it's not for you, it's not for you.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, I told Marx, I don't want to do this on video because I don't want to have to worry about hair or makeup or what I look like. (laughs) You have no idea how and bad I, will, I look. And
0: I don't want to have to wear pants. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. I don't oh, I want to have to wear a top. That's a I mean. <laughs> um, now we're getting flogging territory.
2: <laughs> <laughs> of course, if you don't wear pants and I don't wear a top, and we put it on video, we might get a lot of viewers.
0: I know, right?
1: <laughs> Not on YouTube. You get you get you get your account banned real quick. <laughs> oh, oh well.
2: Oh well, it was. That's a different see, website we it that anyway. starts
1: with something else, but I'm. <laughs> I was <laughs> oh, really I'm familiar
2: with those sites. Sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> has um, the word
2: flogging in it somewhere, probably.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, now we're we're to the tip section, if you will. You're not going to have to give us a tip, not a financial tip, at least. <laughs> <laughs>
2: we prefer but, uh, 20%, but no.
0: But we have a lot of authors, writers, filmmakers who listen. We so do? We, so we like to ask little, you know, tips from from our guests to help them out. So let's start off with do you have a tip you like to share about your experiences with filmmaking?
1: Yeah, my my number one tip is is I mean, everybody says this, but like start yesterday, you know, just just start doing things like the thing that makes you a writer is, is writing. And the thing that makes you a better writer is also writing like there there's training and there's a lot of good things that you can learn about it. And you should be reading books, you know, fiction and nonfiction to improve yourself, but there is no substitute for just getting started. And that's the number one thing that I see holding other people back. And it's the number one thing that holds me back. If I go for a couple of days, And I don't put any words down and I'm not working on the the next, the outline for the next book. It's so hard to get over that inertia. And the only way to get over it is to get over it and just produce as like whatever you can. If it's not the project that you want, like that you, that you should be working on produce something else because production is like the only thing that leads to, to long-term success. And then secondary to that is, is learning as much as you can about craft and, and marketing yourself and all that sort of thing. And then the other major tip is it it follows the other one. Like produce is number one, but number two has to be finish things. You can't leave 50 different projects unfinished and never complete anything. And again, that's why uh, vlogging and YouTube for some people or blogging for other people can be a great supplement to a writing career because you are finishing things that are getting audience members in and they're getting they're getting interaction i think that i think that a lot of people undervalue interaction with their audience you know whether it's your email list your blog your youtube channel whatever interaction can be one of the most powerful motivating factors in terms of like finding it easy to continue and, and keep doing the thing that you know analytically you want to do but it can sometimes be very hard uh, to do And then so those are sort of like general production things. And I want to give one more thing that's like a little bit more concrete and a little bit more, I think, actionable for people, especially if they don't necessarily have trouble with production, which is that everybody says that you need to like the best marketing for one book is writing the next book. Right. Mm -hmm. And that I discovered that to be very, very true up to a certain point. And then after you have a few books out, especially if there are a few books in a series, but even if they're not then you do need to start figuring out how to actually sell yourself and sell your art and the answers to that are like too numerous to go over but whatever it is for you facebook advertising amazon advertising goodreads advertising whatever it is learn how to do it and start actually marketing because just continuing to write actually only gets you so far so those are those are my top 3 things for for people to know
0: those are good ones yeah one more thing, too, for people who are specifically writing the fantasy genre. Is there a tip you like to share or perhaps something to avoid when writing fantasy?
1: I don't know. This just might be a personal thing for me, but see what you can do to make yourself unlike other fantasy, because my big problem with with a lot of fantasy books is the sameness. Uh, mm-hmm. and yeah. So whatever that is like. And again, this is different things for different people, but find out find out the one thing that like every fantasy book does from your own viewpoint and what you see every fantasy book doing will be different from what I see every fantasy book doing because we have different attention on different things. For me, the the number one thing was that like 20 percent of all characters in all fantasy books speaking broadly are female. Even Game of Thrones, which is, like, much better about this and has a has a better ratio, there's still tons of men and no women. So I just was like, okay, hard and fast rule on all of my books, 50% of the people with speaking roles will be women because that's how the actual universe exists, right? So, yeah, like, and it's Woo-hoo! just, like, it's such a dumb thing and people are like, oh, you're trying to, like, check some, like, you know, like, I don't know quota box or whatever. And I'm like, no, dude. It's just it's it's just super annoying to me that like. And again, some of my favorite books are very are very weird in this respect. Lord of the Rings has three women total, and The Hobbit has none. There's no women in The Hobbits, yeah. Period. And it's just like, wh- where where did they go? Where did these hobbits come from?
2: And you know, like, how, where do they come from if there's no women?
0: Well, those uh, heroes need somebody to cook their meals and have oh, their babies. No, I am. God.
1: You can't, can
2: you hear me smacking him in the arm right now?
1: No comment.
2: But yeah, it, it is kind of odd because, you know, speaking as a woman, if you say like, oh, well, I would really like to read or watch something that has more women. It's like, oh gosh, you're getting on a soapbox. You're being all feminist. Yeah. But now no one thinks anything of, someone watching something that's male-oriented, that's just like, it's sort of like going, oh, I want a strong female character. No one says a strong male character. The assumption is the male character is an interesting, strong character, unless you say otherwise. But a yeah. woman character, you have to kind of go, well, she's a woman character, but she's also interesting and strong. Right.
0: And
1: it's like, <laughs> what is the but? Why is the but in that sentence? Right. There's no correlation. <laughs> None.
0: None whatsoever. <laughs> This
1: hilarious, this hilarious meme was floating around. I don't watch the show, but there's, uh, I think it's America's Next Top Model, and there was this guy who, you know, speaking as a man with a wife and three kids, he's a really good-looking guy, Mm -hmm. and and he happens to be deaf, and he actually, I think he won. I think he won the show. Spoilers if you watch America's Next Top Model. I'm so sorry, but oh darn, yeah, and somebody, somebody, you know, fairly prominent posted on Twitter. He's so hot, you know, even though he's deaf. And everyone's just like <laughs> what it doesn't what? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, exactly. So, and and that's the thing is, you know, people will always like you'll you'll never make everybody happy. So if you're never gonna make everybody happy, and if people are gonna call you out for, you know, having having interesting female characters in your books, or if they're gonna call you out for having, you know, racial and ethnic diversity in your books and everything, if they're uh, you're going to upset a whole different set of people if you try to cater to those people. So, so do something, find what you think all fantasy does and, and just does until it's exhausting and just switch it up, break expectations, you know, make people think that you're doing the standard normal thing and then just sort of switch it up a little bit because fantasy is great. It's such an awesome genre and it's, it's, so easy to lose yourself in a fantasy world just make your world a place that is is interesting and unique in some way so that people do want to spend more time there
2: yeah well and you know like you say you're not going to make everybody happy so Ever. might as well write something that's going to make you happy you know <laughs> exactly. you're the one writing it
0: exactly I'm going to be bad at your eye story. And it's like, I wouldn't read this. It's was
2: like, I think it sucks, but apparently other people <laughs> like it. So I wrote it like that would be just a miserable job.
1: <laughs> yeah. I love when people jump in, like, you know, like John Green, when he was, uh, he had his, his YouTube channel was big when he published that book, the fault in our stars. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, it's finished and it's with the editor and everything. It's like, I really, I actually, I find myself kind of liking it. And people are like, oh, how arrogant he likes his own book. And it's like, well, do you want him to publish something that hates? Do you want him to take some book and say, well, this is probably crap? Here you go. If this like, is a
2: load of crap, please buy it.
1: Yeah, that's why I, just, I kind of stopped saying it in my videos because I realized that like three books in a row, I was like, dude, I think this is the best thing that I've published yet. And then I'm like, well, of course I do. Because if I thought it was crap, like if I, if I thought I was going downhill, then I wouldn't put it out. I'd go back and I'd fix whatever was wrong. Like, this should be getting better.
2: You can't win for losing. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, I'm glad to see that you're, you're making an effort to get more female characters in yes. fantasy, so...
2: I mean yeah cuz that is something a trend I've seen in
0: well, like, that TV Hobbit, shows they, they had to make up a character for the movie yeah. to have a woman in it well
2: but I mean even <laughs> like TV shows and and things that are going on now I get kind of just an it went from being annoyed to just sort of bored and resigned to so many f- women characters there there's either not a lot of them or they're very one-dimensional and it seems like if they want to make anyone quote unquote interesting, she always has to be like a rape victim or this or that right. because it, that's the cool thing now. And I'm like, yeah. You know, it stopped being like edgy like 5,000 yeah. on-screen rapes ago. And yeah. Now you're just doing now what everyone just... else is doing and it
1: Yeah, it's a total
0: cliché.
2: Yeah, and and now and it's just kind of like when she start, you're doing it for ratings, and there's so much more to being a woman. She's never than,
0: forgetting, yeah. forgiven Downton Abbey for that.
2: Yeah, <laughs> Downton Abbey, Game of Thrones, everything, and it's like, you know, there is more to being a woman than yeah. being used for sex, whether it's consensual or not. And right. that seems to be the like the only thing. That's
0: just another way of turning a woman to sex object, right? It Go is. Ahead. It's it's just might- like.
2: Here we We are, it went from being, oh, she's such a harlot, she likes sex, ooh, that's scandalous. Now it's being an unwilling participant in an act is now like how they make women, they're like, well, we wanted to give her more depth. It's like, seriously, like as a woman, I can tell you, there are other ways to, to explore what's beneath the surface without having it be related to sexual violence, yeah,
1: exactly. We might get on a whole nother tangent here, but have you seen Jessica Jones?
2: Now yeah. I did like that.
1: Yeah, it's so good, and uh, they there's and it the was the done showrunner
2: so well, and it yeah,
1: like she's a victim, but it's never in the show. Right, it's about the survivor, aftermath, and, the,
2: and you're exactly. seeing the aftermath, and it's through her life experiences and her point of view.
1: I just thought that show was was really really great in dealing with, and see that's the thing. Every, like okay, so every 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 show with a with a female main character or with a you know a strong female character or whatever, they deal with they they all deal with rape. They all deal with sexual violence, right? Mm-hmm. This show took that, handled it in a completely different way. It took the it took the expectation and it flipped it. There's right. nothing it doesn't show anything on screen and it deals with the aftermath and the reality of, of being a survivor of that. Never and and path
2: recovery. What,
1: Right. And that's what more people need to do. They need to take they need to take the thing where they're like, "Ugh, you know, like every Hollywood film is the same. Every every New York Times bestseller just does the same thing. Everything is uh, like all of the things in this group do that. Okay, well, we'll find what's true about that for your genre Mm -hmm. or for whatever it is you do and flip it. Find a, a new way to talk about it, a new way. And sometimes that just involves finding the right voice, you know? Like, mm-hmm. that, like Jessica Jones, was, was the, the showrunner, was a woman. Mm-hmm. Obviously, she has a different perspective on the showrunners of Game of Thrones, who are a couple <laughs> of dudes.
2: <laughs> well, and that's like... the thing. Because, like, Game of Thrones, it's like, well, women are just basically there to be victims. And right. then, I mean, even from the beginning, the very first episode, it was... And what bugs me is, you know, she gets raped on her wedding night. And then the storyline is, well, once she learns to relax and enjoy being raped, then she can feel empowered. You know, (laughs) And and then like And you're just like, okay,
1: well I feel like I need ten thousand showers
2: and I did. I, was, I I'm like I hate this show for you know yeah. and then you know, Downton Abbey, it was as soon as the woman gets raped, the whole storyline is oh what if we can't let her husband find out? What if her husband finds out and it's all about the men involved in it? And it, it yeah. has absolutely nothing to do with the woman. The entire series. Yeah. And then but with Jessica Jones, it was It was totally, like you said, it turned it on its head. And it didn't even occur to me. I mean, we just watched, binge watched the show. And we got to the end of one episode. And I said, oh, you know what? I just now realized there was this really intense scene that had all had betrayal and love and hate and murder and crime and this and that. And it was this intense scene. And it was a few women. And there were no men in this room when the scene was going on. And yep. it's the kind of scene that you see played and like, oh, this is going to win so-and-so an a war. It was tense. It was interesting. It was, it was game-changing, all this stuff. And it occurred to me that I don't think I've ever seen anything where it had all that in it and it was women. Yeah. And I didn't realize yeah. while I was watching it because I was just so entrenched in watching it that who's the sex or gender of the people was just completely not on my mind because it was just so good but it was after that it occurred to me. So yeah, it was just really cool.
0: And it's very telling because Luke Cage could have dominated that storyline. if Some showrunners would have made that mistake in a way. And there's there's a scene where, and I don't remember the exact wording, but you know, he's talking to her and he goes, you know, basically like, so do you need my help with this or whatever? And she's like, "No, something I, I need to deal with." And he goes, "Well, good for you." Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: And no one, no one thinks, "Oh, well, can she handle it?"
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And I don't know if you guys uh, have have read the comics, but both him and both Luke and Jessica, it, it's like they're off the page. It's like they just plucked them off the page, and it's just uh, Marvel's. I mean, Marvel's genius, right? They're just the best. <laughs> they're just fantastic. I mean, come on.
2: Well, we loved Daredevil that came on Netflix, and then, yes, and we and I said, you know, I would hate to have to pick a favorite between the two. Yeah. I mean, they're twins. They're just oh,
0: so,
2: they were so good. So we're really looking forward to Luke Cage.
0: Yeah, and little earnest. Um, so yeah,
2: it it yeah. just but Jessica Jones was just amazing, and I really was nice. like, I liked that actress anyway. Um, yeah, but she really. Everybody in that entire cast rocked it. It was so well written and directed. It was just, they knocked it out of the park.
1: Yeah. Now, I will say that, um, so I mentioned that I, uh, uh, speaking of Marvel for a moment, so I mentioned that I'm launching these uh, these other book series in uh, in the world of Underrealm next year. And basically what they are is they're, they're three new series series. On the same vein as Nightblade, where they are smaller scale series leading up to the the big one, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I I took a thing from Marvel's uh, book in each of the books, starting with Shadeborn, which is the fourth Nightblade book that came out uh, ten days ago. And there are actual end credit scenes in my books. In other words, you finish the book and then you go into about the author and other books by and da, da da da. And if you go past all of that, there's one more small chapter. And I just I stuck that in, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is the coolest thing ever!" Because <laughs> like you always watch a Marvel movie all the way to the end of the credits, right? Just so you can see that scene.
0: That's so, is I totally, so uh, cool. I totally
1: just stole that from them, and in the in the back of the ebook, and a bunch of people don't see it at all. But then I have people emailing me, and they're like, "There's a thing all the way at the back of the book." I'm like, "I, I know, I, I wrote it. <laughs> I put it put there." <laughs>
0: freaking out. Really? There
2: what? is. <laughs> What did do? What was it? Can you tell me? Uh,
1: That would be amazing. I will start responding that way from now on.
2: No, that's a really cool idea. That's cool. I've been thinking lately about with the fact that the media's are all sort of merging the television and film and books are now becoming electronic and you could, I mean, you could have a book that you read on a computer that could have different pictures and visual things with it, you know, and it, that you just wouldn't have otherwise.
1: Yeah. There's video games these days that are like sort of halfway in between book halfway in between movie. And some of them are so good. There's this one uh, that's, that's huge right now. I've watched some people play it, but I haven't gotten to, to play it myself. It's called life is strange. And it's some of the best storytelling I've ever seen, period. And it's in a video game. And it's just like, <laughs> what? How? Where did that come from? That's and, so cool. Uh, yeah, like pretty soon, just like just like genre is in many ways like kind of meaningless these days. It's like, well, it's it's this genre, but it's also this and it's also kind of that. And it like breaks these rules. Like, I think media is is getting that way where it's like well it's a video game but it's it's kind of practically a movie also and you know i don't know i don't know what you'd call it and pretty soon i just don't think people are gonna care they're gonna just be like have you seen thing okay good go do the thing don't watch it <laughs> or
2: kind of like um you know our grandmas and great grandmas used to watch their stories Their mm-hmm. it was soap operas you know <laughs> right well their stories used to be on radio then the stories moved to uh, television Yep. And they wouldn't say, "Did you watch that soap opera or that show? It was like, oh, well, I've been keeping up with my you stories. you watch that
0: one-hour drama?
2: <laughs> yeah, I've been <laughs> keeping up with my stories, you know? <laughs>
1: exactly. And that's what people want, man. They just want story. I mean, they, they want other things, too. They want spectacle and, and excitement and all that sort of thing. But, like, really, people forget how, how motivated people are by story and, and how... Mm-hmm enraptured people can get by by story and and creation and all that and and uh and if you spend time on it and you spend the time to to tell the best story that you know how to tell you you can find your audience doesn't matter what the what the audience is what the genre is what medium you prefer to communicate in they're out there yeah and everybody likes a
0: good story i think that's a good note to everyone likes a good story
2: (laughs) no um we like that hit
0: button
1: (laughs)
2: <laughs> um, can you tell our audience where they can find you and your work online?
1: Yeah. So if you just Google me, it's there, uh, Garrett Robinson, two R's and two T's. My website is GarrettBRobinson.com. And if you go there, uh, you can sign up for my email list and you get the book Nightblade, uh, for free. So if you aren't sure that you, uh, will like the series, you can find out and <laughs> it won't cost you anything um so that's cool and then you can if you search me on youtube i'm there under garrett robinson if you search amazon i'm there under garrett robinson and uh yeah so that's the that's the best thing to do
0: what about your youtube channels
1: uh also garrett robinson i have other channels which i mean if people want to check them out they can one is called vlog a novel and i live stream my writing the whole thing i just turn on my webcam and share my computer screen and people can watch me write the book i have a very very dedicated group of people who are are there pretty much all the time uh, watching I don't know a lot of you know it doesn't have the biggest audience appeal is what I'm saying so
2: So, like, if you just you scratch yourself, pick your nose so, or, or whatever so, while writing.
0: Sometimes, yeah, yeah. Um, so, it's, you know. So, it's yeah. interesting. It's like Twitch or whatever, like uh, watching people play games. I was going
2: to say, stuff, is it sort so. of like a voyeuristic view of a, an author?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: I, I actually I do I do the live streaming on Twitch, and then I export the uh, videos to YouTube afterwards. So if you uh, search me on uh, on YouTube, you can find a link to uh, go watch it on on Twitch.
0: If and then you Mark's going
2: so explain to me later what Twitch is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you ever talk to them? Like like you're talking to yourself? Do you like, oh no, gotta make this change or whatever? Do you ever do that? yeah it's just okay. I'll explain
1: <laughs> what I'm doing. I'll explain what I'm doing as I do it. Like, oh, this character, here's the problem with this character, and here's what I'm trying to resolve, and I'll I'll work my way through it. And then sometimes they'll ask questions uh about, you know, how or why I do a certain thing and I'll answer that. And then sometimes we'll just kind of like, you know uh, just talk about whatever, like they'll ask something, Hey, did you see the da da da?" da?" and I'll do that. But I have to watch myself on that. And sometimes I'll just be like, okay, guys, I need need to work. Like today there was a whole debate about the Hobbit films, you know? And I was like, (laughs) Oh, I I really want to get into that, but I'm not ever going to write my book if I do. So, so yeah.
2: (laughs) Well, thanks Garrett for speaking with us.
1: Of course.
2: (laughs) It's been a lot of fun.
1: Hi, this is Alan Baxter, author of the Alex Kane series, and you're listening to Genretainment.
2: Well, thanks to Garrett for taking the time to speak with us, and check out the show notes for the links mentioned in the interview. Also, before we go, we want to remind you that you can always keep track of us by subscribing to us on iTunes or Stitcher, or by following our Genretainment Facebook page, Marx's Twitter account, which is at Mr. Marks, our web series at Genretainment.com, or you can follow all of the shows at SciFiPulseRadio.com. You can also find us with other excellent shows on Blog Talk Radio via the League of Geeks network at blogtalkradio.com slash leagueofgeeks.
0: So that's it for today's genretainment. We'll be back soon with all new guests from our favorite films, TV shows, novels, and web series.
2: Genretainment is a production of Alien Jungle Bug Productions.
0: Until Until next time. time.
1: So do I? Do I literally just say my name, or do I say I'm Garrett? I'm an author like, and a YouTuber, and you're like, listening. Hi, too. I'm
2: Garrett. Yeah, and you're okay. an author of. And then you might want to give him, you know, some names of what you've written.
1: Okay, cool. Hi, I'm Garrett Robinson. I'm the author of the Nightblade Epic and a. <laughs> oh, good
0: one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just like that. Print it. Like print that. it.
0: Print it. <laughs> uh-huh. Bad monkey.